0: Texas talking, ah, what was that that you said? Texas talking, ah, Gonna hoop up your head. Texas talking, tell me who can you trust?
1: Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in for this special edition of the Texas Tribune's TribCast, where I'll be talking to our pollsters about the latest University of Texas, Texas Tribune poll. We'll get going here uh, right away. Um, I'm Ross Ramsey. It's the third Tuesday of June with a special edition. I'm joined by Darren Shaw, government professor at the University of Texas at Austin and co-director of the poll, Jim Henson, down there, uh, co-director of the poll and head of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin. How long's your business card? <laughs> and the longest business card of all, Josh Blank, manager of polling research at the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin. Anything any more to it? It could be. <laughs> it's the whole thing. <laughs> so uh, we rolled the poll out over four days, like we usually do. We started with the president of the United States and who remains um, popular. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> five months in, he looks pretty much like he did five months back, and like he did on election day. The numbers held pretty well for him.
2: Yeah, I think uh, the the interesting thing. Uh, that you've seen nationally is, of course, the absence of any kind of honeymoon period for Trump. Uh, but it, Texas is a little quirky given the you know distribution of partisans within the state. I mean, the the main dynamic that we've seen is sort of a solidification of support amongst Republicans. Um, and it's not that his numbers were were bad, but there was a lot of soft support, uh, particularly in the aftermath of the election. I think a lot of Texas Republicans probably sort of held their nose and voted for what they consider to be the lesser of two or three or four evils. Voting against somebody rather than right. for somebody. Right. And uh, the, the funny thing, funny odd, is that as Trump has had these sort of series of controversies unfold over the first three or four months, uh, Texas Republicans have moved to kind of lock stock to support him. Um, and I'm not quite sure whether that was inevitable or whether it's a you know, reaction to the way the media is framed things, I, it, it's not clear. Although, y- you can't help but look at it and think they were going to move behind the guy almost no matter what. I mean, it just has that feel to it in some ways.
3: Yeah, and I mean, I think to some degree the reaction to these results are, are not surprising in that, you know, there's this idea that he's had a rough go of it to start the administration. So, you know, shouldn't you see some, you know, reduction in his support? But that also like assumes that you know things were going so well before that or something or there's new right. information that people are incorporating but nothing has really changed right, right. you think about the campaign to the transition period to the beginning of the administration I mean certainly there you know you could argue about the relative you know let's say seriousness of the different you know issues that have come up over those t- over that time period but it's not as though Republicans in Texas are learning new things about this is sort of the argument that the
1: ingredients were right there on the side of the box the whole time
3: yeah
0: yeah and i I would i would point out that there are you know his overall numbers moved not at all statistically there but there was a little bit of a of a wavering in the intensity his strongly approves went down decently i don't remember how much
3: yeah and that's similar to what's going on in national polling
0: right and so i think we would you know we would expect that to happen but yeah i mean i think overall you know there's partisanship is driving this and any idea that somehow republicans in the state are changing their attitudes towards trump and sitting around pining for ted cruz isn't happening
2: i don't i don't recall a lot of state level polling data from previous administrations you know the idea of a honeymoon is is old right but the idea of polling the magnitude of the honeymoon is relatively new so we have some decent numbers at the national level I, i'm i'm curious in some of these state level polls both texas and elsewhere uh, about you know, well, what what are the internals of this, right? You know, if, uh, if Bush or Obama, actually Bush had a limited honeymoon as well, but right. Obama had, you know, very, very high numbers after the inauguration, the swearing in. It would have been interesting to go back, and there might be a few of these, to, to look at some of the statewide numbers and seeing, uh, you know, how much variance there is there. Um, because, you know, you might think that, well, a blue state would be off the charts for him and a red state less. So I'm not sure that's the way it would go it, it it strikes me that you know to the extent that a president goes to 60 65% approval it's it's probably concentrated in states with lots of independents and out-partisans who mm-hmm. kind of cut the guy a break for a little while and then come back to earth once well, the honeymoon is over and, and that yeah. brings
3: up a key point too which is that you know to the extent that his numbers look you know let's say weaker here than you might expect a lot of that is the fact that he's not getting a honeymoon with Democrats and that's happening you know in Texas as elsewhere so I mean in some ways you focus on the Republicans strong support for Trump it may be the exact same as what we've it's witnessed the other
1: side didn't say well let's give him the benefit of the doubt for a minute yeah I think probably, so yeah, yeah I think that's almost certainly true so what about the related stuff we you know there were a bunch of questions in here about you know not just Trump's per, uh, popularity but the Russia thing or the FBI thing
0: um, somebody jump. (laughs) Uh, What about it? I mean,
1: there's the the worm on the hook. Somebody go. Well,
0: I mean, I think I, I, the Russia thing is fascinating to me. And I think it's, you know, you have to be careful with what you do with that. Okay. So get to my number, 40% of Republicans, right? Your, your number is at 40%. Yeah. It's our number 40. (laughs) And we've all talked about this, you know, 40% of Republicans are with, are just kind of withheld judgment on Russia right in the in the fav unfavor item that we had my on, view is neither favorable nor unfavorable no, or or they said they don't or know no and that's you know i mean even setting, you can't really set Trump aside on it, but it's a pretty interesting historical artifact to look at that number in conjunction with the fact that negatives towards Russia were higher among Democrats than they were among Republicans. That is like
1: an an
0: unimaginable outcome 15 years ago.
2: Look, this is a prime example of what we refer to in political science as motivated reasoning. Um, it, it, It sort of plays into all these more complex notions of public opinion. I say complex just because they're you know re- relatively sophisticated theoretically but they're right. they're actually pretty intuitive and you know I'm I, I really hold out hope for the American and the Texas public in a lot of ways <laughs> but but man you look at these numbers and you can't help but think they're just they have a guy right their guy is in their guy has taken a position and they are they would rather sort of you know, adapt their position on Russia, change their attitudes on Russia, then change their attitudes on their guy. And right. it's, it's not just right. the right, it's the left as well. Um, yeah. You know, we, uh, Jim and I grew up during, you know, Rocky IV, formative right. film. <laughs> uh, it's just hard for me to imagine, uh, you know, Republicans uh, suddenly deciding that, uh, well, you know, Putin, we should, we should work with him. And I, I, it's, it's, it's odd uh, and for those Apollo, of us who you're, came of age during the uh, you're Reagan era. Huh?
3: <laughs> and the Democrats and the liberals are the hawks now.
2: Yeah. I, right, right, You know, Russia's bad, and it, it, the world is upside down, but it's, it, it, again, I think is an example of uh, the public responding to the stimulus provided by elites. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. Um, the Texas voters don't seem convinced that— um this election influence thing is a thing. I mean, the results there were a little bit mixed, and and again, you know, well, a lot Democrats of do. <laughs> Well, there was a lot of partisan leaning. Going back to the right, point, right? Right? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: I mean, all the way through this poll, I mean, just put a marker in there. All the way through this poll, through this and through issues, the um, separation by flag is
2: really, really strong. It seems to be. Yeah, and and more so maybe in Texas than we're used to. Uh,
3: um. You know, maybe maybe a little bit, but a matter of degree, not not difference. Yeah, I I think on
2: the red on the red meat issues, uh, what we're talking about here, the the stuff that gets nationalized, that is by definition nationalized. You know, the, the Russia stuff, the meddling in the election. I mean, we're I only say that. Um, and I appreciate Josh's skepticism but I, I only say that because Texas <laughs> Texas Democrats but, but. No, but Texas Democrats he,
0: however he just lied on a to, national podcast yeah, <laughs>
2: they tend not to drive the agenda and so they, 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 in a lot of ways they're reactive to issues that Republicans want to talk about and a lot of those issues are kind of you know Republicans like to put out issues that are sort of divisive to Democrats. Yeah. Well to split but the here, difference I think I'm, what
0: I would say is that it's you know it's more on the national issues than it is on the state yeah, stuff. I I mean, agree with that. It's evident in some of the state stuff but it really still is more powerfully and I think more powerful on the national things. As we get into the issues we'll see some of the issues it's not quite as pronounced but it is Something that we see pretty consistently.
3: I mean, Republicans are driving the agenda here, obviously. And so it's not surprising to see Democrats generally dissatisfied with those items. But the issue here that we would kind of always have to bring up, you know, for people who aren't attuned to this, is the Texas Democrats just tend to be a little bit more conservative. So, you know, that's why I say it's more of a degree thing than, you know, an outright difference. I mean, generally you see a certain amount of, you know, conservative Democratic support for you know, the Republican agenda. It's minimal, but it's there, right. right? It's not non-existent. It's, you know, in this poll, there's probably a little bit more just clear separation than I think than we normally see, definitely on the national stuff and a little bit on the state stuff, but it's still there. But so. as you look at it
0: and you look in, you know, social media and you look at some of the responses as we've released the polling this week, one of the little sub-themes has been one of the things Josh is talking about, people either being skeptical or, or skeptical of the result or surprised at the phenomenon that... Right you know more than 20% of democrats thought the ba- you know some sort of bathroom legislation was important for example mm-hmm. and we see that all the time that you know i mean there's a non trivial minority of democrats that take positions that you would not identify with the national liberal, democratic position.
1: Sounds like the name of a blog, Non-Trivial Minority of Democrats. Um, Let me remind the Facebook Mm. viewers that if you post your questions in the comments, we'll try to get to them. Um, Let's uh, transition over to personalities and talk about the people at the top of Texas government in particular and uh, Darren Shaw's personal favorite the John Cornyn number.
2: (laughs) Ross, Ross, I I just continue to be amazed at how polarizing John Cornyn seems to be given that we're comparing him with people like... (laughs) You know, Tan Patrick and Ted Cruz, and yet uh, opposition seems to have centered on John Cornyn for some reason. He to,
1: he's hardly the firebrand you would have expected,
2: uh, right? Yeah, I, he he seems to have a harder time consolidating the love and affection of conservatives, although he does quite well there. But he doesn't do like, you know, Cruz or uh, Patrick. He, and he's got that. We should say he's got the
1: biggest gap between his favorable and unfavorable rankings of any of the top officials we we
2: polled here. Yeah, and and this is a guy who, you know, we all. Sort of know and have seen John Cornyn make real efforts to reach out to the communities that Republicans are traditionally accused of ignoring or being hostile to. You know, he, he goes to the border, he talks, he, uh, he sort of puts puts out initiatives, and I, but he can't seem to get any traction with independents or Democrats. They, you'll know, sort of attribute all the negatives they associate with Republicans on and Cornyn. Think, and oh. do you think
0: those efforts then hurt him with Republicans?
2: Well, see, and I yeah. think they absolutely hurt him with Republicans. <laughs> yeah, that's the other. I mean, and his that.
3: positives aren't as high among yeah. Republicans and conservatives as you know sort of the other people. But I mean, is he part of the old? guard? I mean, is that part of, like, the cut point? Ross and
2: I have talked about this. I think he, he gets all of the negatives that accrue to someone who is in a position of power and establishment and responsibility. And, and Congress. And he's in Congress. He's in Congress. And he gets none of the he positives. He is
1: so in
3: Congress.
2: Right.
1: Well, um, he doesn't have the, you know, I mean, Cruz is a separate brand. You know, Cornyn, in a lot of ways, is not a separate brand from Congress. Uh,
0: but, but, you know, but I think there is something to the fact that, you know, Cornyn was elected in 2002. He succeeded with a very different kind of formula than the people that are in office now have succeeded with. You know, one might say Well, he came
1: know, in he came in with a Texas president and became the Texas president's go-to guy in the right. Senate and probably right. probably well, ran up to the power position faster than anybody in Texas tone, since LBJ.
0: But I think it's also That's fair true. to point out, you know, the tone of republic, the Republican public appeal and the the tone of Republican politics was different in 2002. Yeah than it was in, say, 2012 or 2014.
2: No, there's no question. I, I think, and we don't want to, look, it's not that Cornyn is unpopular. He has, you know, he's certainly not underwater in terms of his favorability ratings, but but if you look at the internals, and he's, you know, he doesn't yeah. have the love and support of the Tea Party. This, You know, right. the Tea Party is a 2010, 2011 phenomenon. That's, you know, eight yeah. years after Cornyn you know, kind of reach its power. Right. Um, so you're saying he's a pre-existing condition.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean he's he's 48. You know he's 48. 40 years by comparison. He's 48 favorable or 48 positive job approval. 41 negative among Tea Party identifiers. Cruz is 88-7. Wow. Yeah.
1: So yeah. Cruz and Patrick. There was an interesting number on Cruz and Patrick here, and it was that they were both very strong with Tea Party Republicans and less strong than I, I might have anticipated with non tea Party Republicans. It's, they're still strong, but yeah. their their base within the Republican Party seems a little narrower than I, than I guess I thought it probably was, especially in comparison with, like, Greg
2: Abbott. Yeah. I think one of the f- really fascinating things that emerges out of 2016 is the diversity of the Republican coalition. Mm-hmm. And I mean nationally. So nationally you have these sort of... What I would just call traditional businessman Republicans. You've got the Tea Party Republicans, and now you've got what we used to call Reagan Democrats, but now we just refer to them as sort of less
3: attitudinal diversity. Just to yeah, be, yeah. Just to be think, clear, less well, <laughs> <I> less, <just laughs> yeah,
0: less,
2: well educa- less
0: well educated. <laughs> yes. I think Luke now Baller. we just call them Republicans. Yeah,
2: right. <laughs> but but they're they are not major players in Texas. That that element yeah. of the Republican coalition is not here in force the way it is in Ohio or right. in Kentucky or in Wisconsin or Michigan. And so uh, we still have this kind of bifurcated Republican Party where it's right. the, the, the more firebrands. And then you do have this, uh, you know, just to put a visual, I mean, I think of these sort of Dallas businessmen. Chamber of Commerce types. Chamber of Commerce Republicans. Right. And I don't think they've they've never been, you know, they're certainly not Trump supporters. Um, I, I think they're a little uneasy with, with Cruz and they're a little uneasy with Patrick. And, you know, when, when your party is, you know, a 55%, right. 60% majority party. Right. Um,
3: yeah, and it's interesting because it's ideological. It's not economic, per se. Because I mean, right. when you look at sort of the college-educated, non-college-educated Republicans, there's, like, there's no there's difference here. There's much difference. Democrats, yeah. it's a right. huge thing. That's a whole other, other thing. But right. we don't really have that. Here it is this sort of what Republicans choose to identify with the Tea Party versus those who don't. And they're actually there. You do see some of these pretty serious differences in attitudes.
0: But so, we should also point out that, you know, None, none of these people that may be may find Cruz and, and Patrick not exactly to their liking, they're not voting for Democrats at all. Right. How,
1: how did these, what do these numbers tell <laughs> you about 2018, both in terms of matchups statewide and at the at the top? I guess, you know, we, yeah. saw it, we didn't do any head-to-heads in this poll, but um, we did do... What do you think of Ted Cruz? What do you think of Beto O'Rourke, the likely Democratic challenger at this point?
2: Yeah, I think the... the what I've seen between is the Godzilla February versus Bambi is this? yeah, the, the, between the February and the <laughs> June poll, oh, oh, what geez. you saw, what you've seen is first of all nobody knows who Bed O'Rourke is, right? Um, you know, we had 55 percent who could not offer an opinion, and another 15 percent who said, well, I rate him kind of in the middle, which says to me. I don't think you really know who this guy is. Not to right. cast aspersions, but, right. but I'm, I'm skeptical about it. Well, he has congressman's disease,
1: right? He's known yeah. in one of 36 districts yeah. and not known in 35 districts. That's right. Well, but
0: That's not what I thought that
1: was. Yeah, well, <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, you, you and your gut are mine. Yeah. So you're talking about 70 but 70% who really have no opinion probably don't really know him very well. Right. Uh, so that's on the one side. And then, you know, on the other side of the, of the ledger, you, you know, Cruz, I think, took a hit. Um, when he lost the primary, you know, he—I think a lot of us were kind of impressed by how well he ran, but he lost. And when you lose, you lose, and this right. sort of aura of invincibility, yeah. you know, is—and is, is you're, you're running in
3: a presidential primary, making distinction between yourself and other right. Republicans.
0: Well, and it was a—you know—that was a tough primary. To, it was. Yeah. I mean, you know, he got a lot. Of, he took a lot. Took on a lot of water for all the back and forth on Trump, and, and he know. took.
2: And he took a lot of positions that. That right. he needed to take nationally, but may not redound to his benefit in Texas, whether it's on immigration, you know, trade. That,
1: one of the things that's interesting about Cruz is that, you know, that was his first appearance for people in 49 states right. from whom Beto O'Rourke is going to be trying to raise money. I think that's, you know, sort of an interesting aspect of this. You know, the people who have maybe the worst impression of Cruz <laughs> don't have a countervailing positive impression maybe from, you know, that we have in Texas um, or that Texas Republicans have.
2: Yeah but i I think you know the the rebound you've seen and, and as Jim and Josh correctly point out, it's not like Trump was unfavorably viewed by you know Texans. He won the state pretty easily and right uh, but but there has been a consolidation around these sort of traditional Republicans and I, I think if there, if there were a window um, I, boy, it looks like it's closing quickly in Texas that is at the statewide level. I mean, you could see something shake up, but. Right now, I I d I don't know that coming out of this session there's a lot of momentum within Texas for particular Democratic candidates to mount a real credible challenge in a very tough environment. That's so, a really
0: measured way of putting that.
3: <laughs> yeah. <He's, laughs> would you say it more further?
0: From, from
1: the diplomatic corps for in the you? government department at the <laughs> University of Texas. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the you know, much talked about, you know, probably counterfactual, but you know, the most the much talked about, you know, maybe Abbott and Patrick someday. Abbott's a lot more popular, it looks like, than Patrick is.
0: Yeah, I, you know, we've talked about this a lot. I, yeah. I think these numbers are, you know, there's a little bit of good news here for the lieutenant governor. His name recognition went up. About 10 um, points. You know, a bit, and that's, I think, what...
3: It's been hard fought. It's I mean, one of the things he I mean, was after, but he, yeah. but
0: he had to try, and, and it hasn't been without a cost. Yeah. Right, because not all of that increase in name recognition has been positive. Right.
3: Yeah, but he's fine with that. Yeah.
0: I mean, the negative,
3: The negative you know, name aggression the is, governor. yeah, but I mean, a <laughs> bunch of Democrats, Spoke you know, having negative Henson, attitudes yeah. towards the lieutenant governor is not a problem for him, especially since he's trading it off with more Republicans having positive views.
0: But yeah, I mean, you know, we've gone back and forth in this. I mean, I think, you know, Greg Abbott is pretty formidable looking at his public opinion numbers, looking at his campaign bank account right and this is obviously one of the you know parlor games in the 10 square blocks surrounding us right but you know it you know it's hard to imagine really wanting to take this on if you're lieutenant governor dan patrick it seems to me it's not hard to imagine thinking about it all the time sure and maybe even you know dangling out some teasers because You know, it's a bad idea until it's a good one, you know, should something happen or, you know, should conditions change. But what this shows, I think, in conjunction with the way that Governor Abbott has handled the end of the session and the politics of the special session is that. You know, this is not something that's going to be easy. If you were to take Greg Abbott on, particularly, including if you're the lieutenant governor, you might be maybe the best placed person to do it. But that still doesn't make it easy or doable. Particularly if you're already the lieutenant governor, which is a pretty damn good job if you're in Texas.
1: Right. Yeah. Let's uh, jump into some issues. We're going to be in a special session in less than four weeks, I guess, with a with a bunch of stuff. We pulled a bunch of issues, but let's start with a couple that are you know kind of at the top of that. Special sen- session agenda, uh, bathrooms, and property taxes, um, and I guess you know to some extent um, religious conscience, uh, conscience, uh, religious beliefs versus discrimination laws. Somebody want to jump at one
3: of those? I'll jump at bathrooms. Why not? Yeah, I don't want to talk about. Yeah, I don't really it. either, but I'll do it for you, <laughs> both of you. You know, this is like this is actually a really hard thing to actually pull on. And we've, I mean, we've talked about how to do this, like more than I even want to admit. But just for the purpose of this poll, what we did was is in the uh, February poll, we asked how important it was the legislature should, you know, uh, basically be regulating bathroom access. And then at the end of the session, we asked again, you know, they spent this time on it, how important was it? And the main interesting finding, first of all, was that, you know, let alone the fact that people are generally ambivalent overall about this, was that, you know, Patrick's call to sort of rank and file GOP members and religious, you know, people in the state worked. I mean, to a large extent. So when we when we pulled on this in February, you know, among Tea Party Republicans, I think only, i do look at this, get it right for you, only 39% said it was important to regulate bathroom access, which seemed really low given all the, you know, capital that was being put into it. At the end of the session, that number jumped to 70%. So, I mean- And we almost,
0: even among subgroups, you never see anything yeah, jump that I mean, much. <laughs>
3: Right. But a whole session Very talking about it actually, you know, motivated the people who he was looking to motivate behind it. And it's kind of, I mean, looking at it, it's kind of hard looking at these numbers now to think they're not going to get something done. I mean, they almost, seems like they almost have to now.
0: Right. You would think that if, if, if their internal polling is showing the same thing that ours is, and I'm positive it is, <laughs> yeah. then, um, you know, there's going to be fear on the floor. I mean, they're going to, you know, I mean, and that's what motivates these guys. They're risk averse.
1: So clamor created.
0: I, you know, I think so. I mean, you know, as we as people that would, would be listening to this know, there's all these other, you know, personality factors. I mm-hmm. mean, some people, you know, if, if the leadership of the House is just dug in and they'll do anything they can to avoid this, then maybe you don't get something. But I'm kind of I'm kind of agree. I'm pretty close agreeing with Josh in the sense that, you know, the governor has already queued up the raw material of a compromise that says, let's just you know, quote unquote, protect the kids in the schools, that protects you at least from some of the, the pushback from the business community if you push a broader bill about public facilities. Right. And the politics maybe shake out for, you know, some people. And, you know, this, 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 this becomes one of those moments when the speaker says, well, I'm just here to respect the will of the body.
1: Right. Right. So one of the things that looks like the clamor was already kind of pre-existing clamor was property taxes. They've been talking about it for years. It's what, you know, members hear about um, in town hall meetings. It looks like voters are pretty uniformly united on this one.
3: Well, you, I mean, you've written about this. I mean, the fundamental problem here is, you know, you go into the session and you ask Texas voters, what should they focus on? And they, and they always almost inevitably say property taxes and schools. Right. And I don't think that people say... And,
0: and no new taxes. And no
3: new taxes. Right. Right? No new raising funds. So it's sort of like... I mean, you've sort of pointed this out, and I don't think that most you know average Texas voters understand the linkage between these three things and why it's so difficult, which leads in a lot of ways to the legislature kind of doing these weird end-around kind of measures to try to lower right. property taxes so that they say that they... They did. Did something. They, 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 yeah, so you'd say they did something. Well, right?
2: I'll, I'll actually chime in on behalf of the Texas public here. I pick my shots in that regard. But, <laughs> but it is more complicated than that. I, I would suggest it's it's more complicated even than Josh has described it, which is pretty complicated. And that is, you know, I, I come from a, a fairly uh, property-rich environment. I'm over in Eanes. And Eanes, um, look, voters basically look at this and they say, if you give, you know, whatever you cap it at, that's what they're going to increase the property tax to in any mm-hmm. given cycle. So there's a sensitivity to this. They know that uh, reflexively, whatever the top limit is, is what they're going to do. Right. And you don't have a lot of control over that. Now, there's no income tax, there's only sales tax, but there are these bond initiatives. And I think what you get in some of these localized communities, particularly in the more affluent areas, is a preference for bonds over you know property tax as a way to fund the schools. Now, that's not an option in right. other parts of Texas, but you know, for those sorts of areas, and there are lots of those areas, and they're very politically powerful. Um, I, I think it's not that they don't want to pay for the schools. I think they strongly object to the sort of lack of control they have and the belief that they never get a sh- you know fair shake from the town. Ta- I mean, you go to these meetings, and, or even go go downtown when there are the complaints about right. how much right. they've raised. They're, they're all from, <laughs> you know, these...
3: Maybe, but I mean, if you have a areas. preference for bonds over property taxes, then you probably also realize that your property taxes are going to pay for other people's school districts too. I mean, those things are still connected, right? Well, but
1: you do get these, I mean, to right. this point, I mean, you do get these funny elections where, you know, you have a price-sensitive electorate and, you know, they, they don't want taxes to go up. And then you say something like, you know, you're in Allen, Texas, or Katy, Texas, and you say, how about a $60 million football stadium? And they go, oh, that's cool. <laughs> Right, so you know, sometimes they'll go for a specific idea. Well, this is yeah, this is that's not just a tax increase for general use. It's for oh, we get that particular thing.
2: Right, I mean, I don't disagree with Josh. I just don't. There's no contradiction. I mean, you know, yeah. the question is why do you, you know why do you support uh, you know more funds for education, but you don't support property? To, I think it's the mechanism um, and. You know, I I think what's become interesting in Texas politics is the extent to which these local bond initiatives become very interesting strategic games in which the local school boards will laden into these bond initiatives, you know, four things that voters really like, and then one thing they don't necessarily like, whether it's you know a, a one particular, thing the
1: board really wants. Yeah, exactly.
2: And and then the question is, are you willing to support the thirty million dollar bond initiative even though it's got X in it? And and that that's become a lot of the action when it comes to taxes. In Texas.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is one of the few areas where I feel bad for the Texas legislature. Just in the, you know, I mean, it's just this sort of thing where they're basically tasked every we'll session <laughs> with, some, with somehow we'll trying to lower down. property taxes, right? right? And they can't do it. And they have to come up with some convoluted way to do it. And then at least as far as we've tested it in the past, if they do accomplish it, people kind of don't really notice because it doesn't work that way because the property rates go or the property values go up and then you know we start all over again
1: we've just got a couple of minutes left I want um, to least scratch the paint on this one because it, it's the kind of issue that I think is going to keep turning up religious beliefs and anti-discrimination laws con- religious conscience laws you know all the way from the Oregon Bakers to you know the idea of you know foster care being dependent on the intentions and religions of the of the parents and of the kids um, Talk to me about how this polled.
0: Well, we should lay out this is something, you know, it's sensitive. We should lay out exactly how we asked it, which right. is, yeah, sure. you so- know, we asked people whether they agreed or disagreed that a sincerely held religious belief is a legitimate reason to exempt someone from laws designed to prevent discrimination.
3: Right, and I mean, part of this is this is sort of the underlying theme of the session in some ways. These amendments coming up to create sort of religious exemptions for people, whether you know we're talking about adopt, you know, people trying to adopt children or lawyers, lawyers you know, all these right. sorts of groups. And if you ask people about these individually, there's kind of no point. But the idea here was to get at the the concept. You know, sincerely held religious belief, laws designed to prevent discrimination. You know, is this more important than this? Right. right. Uh, well, what's
2: what's I think what's fascinating about it is the the party breakdown once again that there's almost unanimity on the Democratic side that no you shouldn't you know <laughs> you right. shouldn't do this and on the Republican side I th- you see a little more heterogeneity mm-hmm. right a little more difference and I, I think the two reasons for this are fairly obvious on the on the left I think for most Democrats for most liberals this is simply um, you know a matter of discrimination it's rule of law you can't discriminate against people and I think the the issues that come to embody this, are issues where the left is fairly unified. I, I would be interested if the frame were to change, if there was some hum- high-profile issue uh, or episode where, say, it was Islamic belief or there was a, a, a racial or ethnic minority practicing a particular... Well, you context, know, you right. know, what
0: an interesting one would be, actually, would be the original of, conception of sanctuary cities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Should a church be exempt right, from right, right, right. enforcing, right. you know, immigration? But, but as it stands partic- right now,
2: the marker issues are all, you know, kind of framed. In, they're the sort of religious conservatives attempting to get around as they see it, some sort of law. And the, the left just has no tolerance for that particular kind of application. Whereas on right. the right, there's this sort of, you know, belief, respect for rule of law. Right. Which is part of the, you know, if we believe the political science literature, right. the conservative orientation. Uh, but then there's also this, you know, attachment to religious preferences and respect for the sort of freedom of religion. And,
0: and so it sort of divides the right, but... At least as yeah. currently framed, the left is fairly unified. on One of the really interesting aspects to look at this is look at college republic, non-college educated Republicans and college Republicans. So among non-college educated Republicans, it's split thirty-nine, thirty-nine. Among college educated Republicans, fifty-five agree that it's okay and for only, religious to uh-huh. Trump and anti-discrimination. And, yeah, so so in this case, more college education actually. You know, my my gut feeling to this is that you know there's a kind of more organic intellectual training among college-educated Republicans to sift this out a little bit. It's but, interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's yeah. one
3: of the most interesting results in the poll. That's why because, I'm going like
2: this. Thank you. Well, no. I would not
3: liberalizing effect of education, except... With, right. with, that, with that final pitch for
1: <laughs> higher education. <All> right. <laughs> we'll, we'll close it there. Uh, that's all the time we've got. If you like listening to the TripCast every week, please do us a favor and leave us a review on iTunes. Our regular TripCast will be tomorrow at about noon. Um, actually a little bit early tomorrow. Uh, those ratings help us reach more listeners like you. If you value the Tribune's nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom, please consider making a donation at dot. Tribune.org. All of our poll results, the questions, the crosstabs and all of that are online at texastribune.org and at the Texas Politics Project. Jim Henson's eyebrows almost went through his hairline there. <laughs> Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music. On behalf of Darren, Josh, Jim, and our producers, Todd and Bobby, this is Ross. Thanks for listening.
0: Texas
1: talking
3: Texas talking Texas talking
2: yeah that's cool i like paper in front of me i like to crinkle it so it pick, comes up real clear on the podcast there you go thank you very much